Well, hey, everybody. Uh, if you have a Bible, a smartphone, an iPad, I want to ask you to begin to turn to Exodus chapter 3, Exodus second book in the Bible, the third chapter, probably one of the most famous stories in the Bible that we're going to be talking about uh, this weekend as we continue our 40 series. A couple of things I know you're thinking, because uh, I see the bubbles over your head at all of our campuses. One is, are we going to watch that same video for 26 weeks? And the answer is no. This is the last week that you will see this piece of a video for this first. Don't clap because that will hurt my video people's feelings. Okay? It's awesome, right? I mean, but, you know, we've seen it five times now. And the uh, second question I get all the time is, well, I missed something in the notes or I wasn't, you know, I, did, I forgot my book and I lost my, my dog ate my homework kind of thing. And uh, if you go to our website, carlstimberschurch.org, and up top, you'll see in the menu a place that says 40, and we'll have all of our message notes from every week, my notes. Now, I need to admit this to some of you people who are like me, and it might be just a little bit over the top in, in uh, OCD style. Let me say this. Everything that I say is not in the notes, and yes, every service that I do, three a weekend across them, everyone's different, okay? And so if you're like, oh, wait, but I didn't hear him say that, you probably didn't. You were in a different service. But see, here's what I believe. I, I believe that my, a huge part of what God has called me to do when I stand here, I'm not here to present to you. I'm not here to teach you. This is my act of worship. And so my act of worship is to ask the Holy Spirit to put exactly what each audience that hears my message for the weekend needs to hear. And so I believe that's why uh, that the Lord, the Holy Spirit works in my prep, but I think the Holy Spirit works in this moment too. And I think... You get exactly what the Lord wants you to get from this broken vessel in our time together, okay? Does that make sense to everybody? So I've got a lot to say. I honed it down to nine points this week. I usually have three. I started with 17, and I'm down to nine. So you might want to just do this with your hand because it's going to cramp up as we go, okay? So before we get to Exodus 3, which is the great story of Moses and the burning bush, we let me say this, your key verse for this weekend, if you're taking notes in your journal where it says key verse. By the way, it's not too late. Grab one. You haven't got one yet. But Exodus 2.25, just write down Exodus 2.25. You'll understand in just a little bit, I believe, on why that is our key verse for this weekend. But before we get to Exodus 3, I need to read you a section of Exodus chapter 2 to set up the mindset of Moses as we move in Exodus 3. For those of you who may have forgotten or need to be reminded, Moses has taken matters into his own hands. He's done what most would agree would be a righteous thing to stand up for his countrymen, but he, he doesn't do it in God's strength, God's timing, God's power. He does what all of us do. He, what all of us who battle this mindset of a, of a slave is, I'm not sure God's going to take care of it the way I want it taken care of, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And because the Pharaoh finds out about it, Moses flees for his life to the wilderness. And now he's going to live for 40 years, we're going to find out, in the wilderness. He's going to play like the ultimate bachelor game where he's going to get set up with his first wife at a well. And if I had time this weekend, I'd talk to all the single men about how if you, when you serve God with not looking for anything, God will give you the desire of your heart. But I don't have time to talk about that. I, but God gave him, it's, it's really stunning when you think about it, because what his heart had longed for the most in Egypt 
he found in the wilderness, a home, a place to belong, a family. But if you want to get a mindset about where Moses is in the middle of this journey, don't rush ahead to the parts you all know. Think about this, that in the days of the Bible, names were not decorative, they were demonstrative. Okay? So what you, like, when my kids had kids, they picked a pretty name that they liked for their children. There's nothing biblical, I don't think, about Everly Quinn Slough. I just think I like, Evie's the name they picked, you know? And, like, people ask me all the time, how did you name your daughter Bailey? Well, I used to like WKRP in Cincinnati, and Bailey was on that show. And so, I know it's deeply spiritual, but, but for us, it's just what sounds cool, right? But in the days of the Bible, you defined either where you were or what you believed the destiny of your child was going to be by what you name it. That's why it was so important when Jesus said, hey, Simon, I'm changing your name to Peter in the New Testament. And Peter means rock, right? You know, I'm this rock, I'm going to build my church. Jesus was prophetically speaking about Simon, who's now Peter, what his destiny was going to be. Everybody with me? But I don't have time to talk about that. But let's just look here in Exodus 2 where it says, Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah. Everybody say Zipporah. There's no reason other than I like that name. I wanted to hear you say it. Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him. Don't miss this. Gershom saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. Not, I'm temporarily in a foreign land. Not, God's going to take me back to the land he promised. But I'm naming my son what I have become. It is what it is, and this is as good as it gets. I am the product, my failures have defined me. This is my lot in life, and the penance that I'm going to pay for the rest of my life is what God said about my people is true for everybody but me. I'm an exception to the rule. Am I talking to anybody today? He named his son Gershom. And you see the state that Moses is in in the wilderness, believing that it's over for him. And the Bible continues there in Exodus 2 and says, During that long period the king of Egypt died, the Israelites groaned in their slavery, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered. And it doesn't mean he forgot. It means it came into fullness now. Okay? So God doesn't forget. In the Hebrew, remembered means now it's coming to its fullness. He's remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Isn't that the question in the wilderness? Does God see and does God care? Some of you that are finding yourself in the wilderness this weekend are sitting where you're sitting in Denton and Argyle and Lake Cities in this moment because God wants you to hear you are not a product of your past. Your failures do not define you. God sees, God hears, and God's at work. See, the real, write this down. The real danger of your wilderness is not the wilderness. It's what you tell yourself in the wilderness. The real danger of a season of dryness before the Lord, of a season of prayers not being answered, of a season of you having to 
experience the consequences of some bad decisions is not the season itself. It's what you tell yourself in that season. There's a battle in the heavenlies for your heart. You understand this? There's a battle in your heavenlies for your heart. And the, the New Testament teaches us that the battle is not for your car, it's not for your house, it's not for your kids, it's not for your job, it's for your mind. That the strongholds that we face are the lies that we begin to believe, and let's be honest, they begin in what we say to ourselves. And Moses has declared what many of us have declared in seasons of our lives. Worthless, useless, deserving of what I get. It is what it is. It will never change. My marriage will always be in the wilderness. I'll never find a husband. I'll never have a child. I'll always be marked as an adulterer. I always will be seen as a fill-in-the-blank. That's what the wilderness has potential to do in your life if you listen to the wrong voice. And so now, Exodus 3, with that, isn't that a happy backdrop for Exodus 3? Exodus 3, the Bible says, beginning of verse 1, this is the part we all remember. Moses, <clears throat> now Moses was tending the flock of Jericho, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock, don't miss it, circle it in your Bible, highlight it in your U version, to the far side of the desert. Okay? And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. He's going to come back to Horeb. We'll come to this in about nine weeks about the significance of this moment. But don't miss this. Everybody look at me. He's going to experience the power of God on the far side of the desert. And it's the place where, you, where God seems the most distant that there is the greatest potential for God to do something powerful in your life. Am I preaching at anybody? Anybody with me? Any, I don't know what's happening in our God, but then there's looking at me. I don't know. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? Why is this a butane bush? Why is it burning but not burning up? And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look... God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. This is the famous line that we all remember from the Charlton Heston movie, our Sunday school days. Now, if we were in a university setting, if we were at Dallas Theological Seminary or if I was an academic, I would spend the next 10 minutes explaining to you why the words used in the original Hebrew language here denote that this is not an angel of the Lord who shows up in the fire. I would teach you in the Hebrew language how this is one of the unique places where, this, where in the wording of it, it, it lends to the Hebrew language and voice that this is not a representative God, but this is God himself. In fact, if I had time, which I don't this weekend, I would tell you why I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt. This is Jesus' first appearance as a part of the Trinity, appearing and speaking. I believe it's the same Jesus that you're going to see in the flames of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they look and there are three men in the fire, but now they say, wait, I see four. And I believe that there is clear 
I believe we, we can fight to the death to disagree, but I believe this is God in the God not not in the flesh, but as in the spirit, in the form of Jesus that comes to the mountain. And we talk about that. We talk about how God shows up in the most natural of things, in the most natural of ways. We talk about how God is using creation to show us that in the created is where we can find the essence and the power of God. I don't have time to talk about that, so I'll just say this. God shows up when he's ready, not when you're ready. Okay? That God shows up, God is ready, willing, and able to work in your life. And the point is, look at me, everybody, you'll never be ready. You'll never be ready. I was not ready when I got married. I thought I was ready. I wasn't ready. I had all kinds of opinions about how to raise kids, and then God gave me kids. Some of you, you know, I'm going to have a kid when I get ready. I'm going to get married when I get ready. Look at me. You're never going to be ready. You're going to hear a story next weekend from a couple from their mouths, uncoached by me. They're going to say, you know what? We married Jesus. We gave our life to Christ. And the biggest thing that held us back is we didn't feel ready. But you need to understand that in the Bible, what you're going to see over and over and over again is God shows up when he senses you're ready, not when you feel like you're ready. If you wait till you're ready, you'll spend the rest of your life waiting. Because when God chooses to work, look at me, any bush he chooses will do. Because it's not about the bush. It's about the fire that burns in the bush. That's, for me, the power of what happens in this moment. So think about this. I know none of you have ever done this. I know this has never been anyone in this room's experience but mine. God, there's a pattern you're going to see of all. God's going to show up. God's going to do something powerful. God's going to use Nature, the word, a friend, a situation, a song. He's creative. He'll pick all kinds of ways, and you'll know that it's him. And your next response will be, but Lord. Because God says, hey, Moses, I've got something for you to do. Now, now look at me. Listen to me. This is important. One of the ways you know that it's God is it's bigger than you, and you can't figure out how it's going to get done. If you can wrap your hands around it, if you can write down on a piece of paper how it's going to happen, if you've got seven steps and all the resources available to you for whatever God is calling you to to happen, it's probably not God, it's probably from you. If it doesn't scare you a little bit, it's probably not from God. See, you might want to write this down. This is one of those things that will not show up online in the notes. What God is doing is God is showing Moses how to be a follower. Because he can't use him as a leader until he teaches him how to be a follower. And some of us, we are so, in this world, in a leadership culture world, we are so intent on becoming a follower, I mean becoming a leader, that we forget that the first step to becoming a leader is learning how to be a follower. It's what Jesus said when he said, hey, I can only do what I see my father doing, I can only say what I hear my father saying. Jesus was the greatest leader unequivocally to walk on this planet. And the secret was he learned how to follow. 
And until you follow God, until you follow that fire, into a moment that scares you a bit, that makes you feel a little bit inadequate, you'll never learn how to follow, and you'll spend the rest of your life wondering why you're not leading. This is what's happening, Moses. Everybody with me so far? I'm watching the clock. Two down, 21 to go. But Moses says to God, don't miss this, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Very important. Who am I? You want to get discouraged? Start with you and move to God. You want to be encouraged? You want to be stretched? You want to learn how to follow? Start with God and then move to you. But who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it's I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you're going to worship God on this very mountain, Mount Horeb, where they are. Okay? So let me tell you what's happening here. What's happening here is we're getting another glimpse. The first glimpse we got last week into the thinking of a slave was that you tend to want to control things. It's based upon a fear that I don't have a good father who's going to take care of me. You've had a master who, you know, a slave mentality says a master is for, my, for his benefit, but a good father is for my benefit. Now, here's the second sign of a slave. You ready to see it? The, the second sign of a slave is this. There's a focus in your life on what you don't have. The conversations that you have are about things that you don't have. The deficiencies in your life. The ways you struggle. Now this is, a, this is kind of a battle for you regular Cross Timbers people. One of our values here at Cross Timbers is authenticity. That we don't think church is a place that you ought to play, you ought to pose, you ought to hide, you ought to share. But here's the struggle in a place of authenticity. Authenticity means that I'm aware of my deficiencies, but my eyes are not on my deficiencies. My eyes are the one who can provide the, 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 the purpose and the source for me to overcome my deficiencies. Okay? I, may, I may operate like a slave, but my eye is not on the way I operate like a slave. My eye is on my potential as a son. But one of the ways that you know, if you go, man, do I have, am I, do I'm fighting a slave mentality? If you're breathing, you're fighting a slave mentality. And one of the ways is there is this talk about when, when this happens, when I get a husband, when I get kids, when, when, when my boss starts treating me right, you know, when I can get over this anxiety issue, when I can get past this depression issue, as soon as I can get past this, whenever that happens, then watch how I follow God. See, a following is, is the intentional decision in your heart that you're going to allow God to use your real deficiencies to take you places you could have never gone without those deficiencies in your life. Every tragedy can lead to a triumph. Now, what you're not going to like, when I show it to you here, is how God responds to the spirit of a slave. Before I show it to you, I want to remind you of one of the most famous stories in the New Testament is the story of the prodigal son. Anybody, anybody remember the prodigal son? And you remember the prodigal son comes home, and what is, he, what is he talking? He's talking slave talk. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I know I've done all, here's all. I mean, he gets past confession, and it becomes days of our lives. Let me recount all the horrible ways I am. Can I just have a job? Please just let me work like one of your hired men. 
And what does the father do? He does not respond to slave uh, discussion. That father does not say, no, son, you're not. What the father says is, let's throw a party because my boy's home. Okay? It shows you old, from New to Old Testament that if God is silent in something that you're talking to him about, it's possible that it's because you're talking to him like a slave, and you're not a slave, you're a son, you're a daughter of the king. Okay? What you would expect God, most of us would expect in our religious upbringing to believe God to say next when he says, who am I? Well, you're not much. You know, here's what, here, let me remind you of all the things you did. <laughs> but you know what God basically says to him? He gives you the number one promise in the Bible. You know what it is? I will be with you. In fact, I can sum up what I think Jesus is, I mean, what God is saying here to Moses it's not really popular in the church, but I think this is it. Life is hard. Get over it because I'm going to be with you. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to learn how to follow me and to lead my people. You are inadequate and insufficient for the task. Your past is real. But I'm going to be with you. I don't have time, and it may be the Lord. Because I just think we're doing the next generation an incredible disservice in America today. I think helicopter parenting, and now they call it lawnmower parenting. It used to be helicopter where you hover, now it's lawnmowers where we clear the way for our kids. Somehow we are leading kids to believe that, that life is supposed to be easy. Look at me, life is supposed to be hard. You don't have an overcoming spirit until you have something to overcome. One of the greatest disservices we're doing to the next generation is we're not allowing them to overcome the challenges in their life and teaching them, hey, you know what? Life is hard, but God is with you. You got more than you think you have. This is what Moses is told, but I don't have time to talk about that. So let's go to this next section, Exodus. Now let's flip over to four. This is where I wanted to get. And for the last 12 minutes, can you lock in with me? I'll try to slow down. Because I want to get to here because God says, I'll be with you. And Moses says, that's not enough. You see the mercy and grace of God here? Like, God makes his unbelievable promise. Moses says, well, I don't think that's going to be enough for me. And God just keeps pressing him. He just keeps giving him opportunities. Like, your failures aren't fatal. Yeah, but I should have known better. You did know better. That's the point. God is still opening doors, giving you opportunities. But he's about to define for Moses what the cost is going to be of being a follower. And I don't know if I've mentioned this this year or not, but, like, it's uncomfortable to be a follower. Uncomfortable. And there are three signs that are given. I, I don't want you guys watching video in Argyle or with us on Denton on a Sunday or in Lake Cities on Sunday, but I, it, there's, there's our next, our college pastor, Cole, is right over to my right. I can't, it's hard for me not to look at him because he's in his second year at Dallas Seminary, and I just keep thinking about what your seminary professors are teaching you about this passage, and everything they're saying is true. It's just, it's, it's just, there's, there's another piece to it that takes it from theory into reality in our lives. So, Moses 4 says, 
Well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you, which is exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> you get to Exodus 5, it's going to happen. What if your greatest fear came true and it was okay anyway? The Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? Don't miss this. A staff, he replied, a stick. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. And he throws it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground. And we've read this a hundred times, so you think we're going to just pass by. It became a snake. Does that freak anybody else out but me? <laughs> and don't miss the next part. He ran from it. This guy who'd been in the wilderness for 40 years. You don't run from a garden snake if you are seasoned in the wilderness. You run from something that can bite you and kill you. So God says, what are you going to do? Go ahead, stick. Throw the stick on the ground, and it becomes a snake. And he starts to run away. Come on, Moses, I'm right there with you. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and don't miss it, and take it by the tail. How many of you know taking a snake by the tail is like stupid? <laughs> like the first lesson you learn in camping school, is if you come upon a snake, of the list of things to do, the one thing not on the list is to grab it by the tail. So Moses reached out, took a hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. And again, if we were in a seminary class, I would teach you how on the crown of Pharaoh's head, the symbol of his supremacy, guess what it was? It was a snake. I, I would tell you that what is being set up in Scripture is this epic battle between the powers that be and the power of God. And it would encourage you if you feel like in some place in your world or the world that there are powers that be that seem so powerful that things aren't going to change. That when the powers of the world set up against the powers of God, the miraculous will always happen. And I could talk to you about how that staff, that stick, is the very stick that Moses uses to raise and to part the Red Sea. It's the same stick that you see over and over and over again. Why? Because it is a symbol of God's anointing. Because God's anointing does not come without God's power. And if you're trying to operate in an anointing without God's power, it's going to lead to frustration. But I don't have time to talk about that. I'm just going to tell you this. What at its core, at its core, what this passage says to me is that following God is going to feel awkward. That many times following God is the exact opposite of what your body, your spirit, the world you live in has trained you to do. That many times the reason we don't follow God is not because we don't understand. It's because it's going to cause us to move in a way that we've been trained not to move. And, uh, and sometimes... Following God in his kingdom stands in diametric opposition to everything our world tells us about how the world operates. I mean, your world says, my world says to us that whatever it takes, get to the top. That leaders stand at the top. Jesus said, if you want to be first, you got to be last. That's awkward. We, we have learned in our culture, 
We watch TED Talks on leadership, and leadership is about strategy and decision-making and having confidence and having a winsome personality. I'm all for strategy and decision-making and confidence and a winsome personality. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus said, you want to see what a servant is, what a leader is? He outserves people. His authority comes out of, it's just awkward though, right? It's, it's a lot easier to give directions than to clean the bathroom. It's awkward. It, it's, it, doesn't come, it, it, it doesn't come naturally to open your hands in generosity. It's awkward to build a relationship that matters with somebody else. Why? Because you've got to be vulnerable. You've got to take a risk. And some of us, the reason we're not following is because it's awkward and we're not willing to take the risk that we're going to get bitten. Right? See, what you're going to see, write this in big letters. There's a pattern evolving here that my obedience to God's call brings God's power. Some of us are waiting for God's power, but we're not really willing to move in obedience. Like you're waiting on God and God is waiting on you. Like God fixed my relationship. Well, go apologize. Own something. Quit being defensive. Let the past be the past. Forgive. Yeah, but he hurt me. She hurt. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. You're vulnerable. You might get bit. Do it anyway. Your world tells you that God gave you gifting and ability to help you succeed in life. The kingdom of God, God gave you gifts and ability so that you might help move the ball forward in the kingdom. That's why we keep talking about someone to know and something to do. But it's awkward. You might use your gifts and everybody might not applaud you. You might use your gifts and people might take advantage of you. You you do it anyway. Following is awkward. Pick up the snake and walk into a new anointing. You understand, next weekend, hundreds of people. This is what baptism is. It's embarrassing to walk up here. You know, in your swimsuit for lots of us. I get that. There's people watching. There's a video. You know, you probably will blow it two weeks after your baptism. It's not like all of a sudden these angels are going to be on your head and you're going to turn into Billy Graham. It's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, it's just not natural. But when you obey, you receive God's power. When you pick up the snake, God does something. I say, I'm believing. I'm not just excited about people going public in their faith in baptism, I'm excited of the power that's going to be released in people's lives. That the godly, kingdom-building leaders that he's going to develop out of servant hearts who just had the courage to pick up the stick. But I can't say any more about that, so let's keep going. Number two... The second sign, Exodus 4, 6 and 7. So then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses, Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. Now put it back in your cloak. He says, so Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And again, if I was an academic, I would give you this history of 
that the most dreaded disease on the planet, even in the days of the Egyptians, was leprosy. That, that at the, if you wanted to attack someone's identity, allow them to contract leprosy. Separated, isolated, said you're not worthy. Ousted from your tribe, your community. Sold out by your friends. It is the symbol of a misshapen identity. And again, in this epic battle, come on, Cole, stay with me. In this, I talked about you on the video. Stay with me. So in this epic battle between the powers that be and God, the one place where the powers that be had no power was in this disease of leprosy, and God's about to overcome it. Can you imagine the moment, the moment of panic when Moses pulled his hand out of his cloak and it was covered in leprosy? Can you imagine that moment that he felt marked? Don't miss the words. My friends, he puts it back in. And what does the Bible say? Circle it in your Bible. It's the power of restoration. It's restored. Because you will be restored and experience new power, not before you follow, but while you follow. That there's this, the word we like to use around here is, you know, is we, we talk about, I, I talk a lot about a progressive sanctification because it's, it makes me sound smart, but it, what it really means is, is that God is in the process of changing us. And he changes us one decision at a time, one hard decision we make at a time. And at the end of the day, it's not that he's trying to make you a better person. He's trying to help you step into the identity he had already created from you in the beginning. He's trying to restore something that the devil robbed from you in the garden. And you don't even know you lost it. You're, you're living in this false paradigm of this is who I am. This is, you know, my daddy was this, my daddy's daddy was this. And that voice that comes in the wilderness. And you're operating at a subconscious level believing this to be true about your identity. And God wants to restore you. And it does, you don't get restored in a pew on a Thursday night or a Sunday morning. You get restored in doing the awkward work of following him. And it is two steps forward and it is one step back. And you do stand up and declare, I think this has happened for me. I believe God to have done this. And you experience it again. So you're not relying on your own power but his. It's never a straight line. But he is in the restoring business. It's what the leprosy was all about to me. But I don't have time to talk about that. So let's finish up with this. Then the Lord said, verse 8, Exodus 4. If they don't believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. Do you see the grace of the God to the Egyptians, by the way? He's given them like three chances. It's not like, well, you don't even worship me, so one chance and you're out. Three chances. Nobody likes to talk about that. There's grace and mercy you see here. But if they don't believe these two signs or listen to you, look at this. Take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. And so, again, historically, we could talk about the Nile being the epicenter of Egyptian life. I could give you all the facts and figures. I've studied them. I've had nine months to work on this. I, I could give you all the facts and figures about how much fertile soil is brought into this desert region, and it all is carried through the Nile. It is the symbol of life. And God is going to prophetically say in this moment, because it's all pointing to Jesus, there's one coming who is the way and the truth and the life, and it is living water. It's not the Nile. And we could talk about that imagery. We could talk about 
the meticulous way that God wants to build Moses' faith. Do you see it? I want you to take how much water? Just a cup of water. You're standing before the most powerful people on the planet who in the flesh hold your destiny in their hands. And a moment comes when you have to take that little cup of water and you've got to turn it over. And you're not sure what's going to happen when it hits the ground. And that's where some of you stand right now. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not like movie quality big deal. To, it's a small deal, but there's the, you know God's calling you. He's, he, you're holding it, and he wants you to just like take that leap. And, you're, and the only thing that's keeping you from taking that leap and turning over the cup in your life is you're not sure what's going to happen when it hits the ground. And you know what it is. I don't have to tell you. God's telling you right now. He, he's God. I'm not. But you know that area of disobedience, that lack of obedience in an area, that stepping out in this area. That, like for you, that's your call to do this. And the only thing that's keeping you from doing it is the fear of what if it hits the ground and it's still water. But I would just say to sum that up, that this is prophetic because this is the first time that you're going to see that God is always going to deliver by blood. That this is a moving, poignant, hinge-worthy moment in the story of the Bible and in the coming of Jesus because it's about to become a bloody mess. We know, some of you that have read the story, we're not there yet, we'll be there in a few weeks. We know that there's going to be the blood, the Nile that's going to turn blood red. We know that there's going to be blood that's going to be put on the doorpost that the death angel is going to pass over. We know that there is going to be in the Passover feast, in the season of the tabernacle, that there's going to be so much bloodshed. Historians tell us that brooks and rivers run blood red. That's how much blood is used to appease God. But we know this. It all pales in comparison to the delivering power of the blood of Jesus. We're going to see in the New Testament. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that restores, makes me white as snow. It gives me the power to pick up snakes and walk in authority. It brings restoration in ways that I can never begin to imagine. He doesn't just put it back together. He makes it brand new. And he takes moments of faith and he honors them. And he brings the miraculous to bear out of them. And it's all because of the blood of Jesus. We are delivered, saved, set free over and over and over again. Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God working through the blood of Jesus in our lives. I can't follow if I'm not willing to be in awkward positions. I can't follow... If I don't believe for me so I can believe for you in the power of God to restore and to heal. And I become that agent in the world. And I can't follow trusting any strength other than the strength of my deliverer who shed his blood, the perfect sacrifice for me.
and I'm not qualified to lead until I learn how to follow. And so I thought, what a perfect weekend for us to take communion together. If you're a believer, we have open communion here, which is a church word. It means you don't have to be a member of our church. Take a little cracker that represents his blood, his body, and drink a little cup that represents his blood that was shed. We invite you. But my heart's desire is that there would be many of you watching wherever campus you're at, at your home in your PJs, at the online campus, wherever you are, that this would be the moment for many of you that you would trust Christ and his blood to deliver you. That you'd give your heart and your life to Christ. This would be the moment you would say, you know what, next weekend, I'm going to pick up the snake. I'm going to do something hard and awkward and uncomfortable. Why? Because it's a step on obedience and I'm going to expect God's power. I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to begin to build relationships that matter. I'm going to start using my gifts. I'm going to let my pastors and my leaders equip me to use my gifts to help other people find the kingdom and the freedom that I'm believing that I'm going to find. I'm, I'm ready to take a step. Why? Because there's nothing like the blood of Jesus. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to receive this day at all of our campuses. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Just how you work in awkward situations. You always honor. We get bit sometimes, but you still you honor and you protect. Now we're just, we're products of being restored. You restore our souls. You put, you don't just put stuff together, you make it new. We're testimonies of that. I pray, Father, that among us it would be this mustard seed of faith to begin to walk in your power and not our own. I pray, Father, that even as we take this little cracker that represents your body, we drink this little cup that represents the delivering power of the blood of Jesus in our lives, that there would be a shift in our hearts in this moment. I pray for those that don't know you, this would be the moment they would come to know you. I pray for those who have known you personally but have never publicly identified with you through baptism. This would be the moment to say, you know what, I'm doing it. I don't care, I'm doing it. I pray for those who need to take a step toward vulnerability relationally so that they might begin to have relationships that matter. This would be the moment that there would be something that would click in their heart and those gifted people among us who can use their gifts and skills and abilities to advance your kingdom, that this would be that moment. I just pray that you would have your will in your way as we receive this great gift, this symbol of Jesus. For thine is the kingdom and the power. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.